Hello and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by Funkinsliff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfine, musicologist and author of Everything's on the One, the first guy to funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at Funkinstuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify. As always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend, tell family. Also get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here, Truth and Rhythm shirts, Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. I'm pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership drummer, composer, and producer Wardell Potts, whose credits include three number one and many more top ten hits. As one of the Solar Label's core musicians, he provided beats for some of R&B's most memorable acts, including Dynasty, Shalimar, and The Whispers. Other artists he has worked with include Leon Silvers, Evelyn Champagne King, who is just on this show, Gladys Knight, Regina Bell, Jerry Knight, Tavares, The Jets, Five Star, Atlantic Star, who's on an upcoming Truth and Rhythm, Brothers Johnson, Tyler Collins, Tracy Spencer, and Hugh Masakela. Those are some bona fide credentials, I gotta say. Wardell, how are you? Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you. You know, it's like it's always something else to hear when someone's you know, because I, I forget, you know, you forget like who you work with and stuff. And so, but one person you didn't say that's from my hometown is Will Smith. So let's get Will, get, let's get Will in there because that's my homeboy. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's probably a few that I missed for sure. Oh, yeah, but it's all good, man. It's all good. But you got, you know, got to think about, think about Will all the time. How's it going, brother? Good enough. I'm doing well. So. <laughs> Glad to see that you're apparently uh, healthy and uh, getting through this crazy, crazy year we're all having. Oh man, it is something else. And yes, I live um, kind of in a rural area. I live on a ranch, um, so it's like it's very easy to do social distancing here. Um, and so it's, uh, but at the same time, 
you know, I, I love the, the privacy, but it, this is too much. It's been going on for too long. <laughs> and I really miss, you know, hanging out with people and, you know, and loving on people that, you know, I love because I love to love. And, um, but uh, it's okay. I, I know we need to get through this. And so, and we will if, as long as we all are, you know, doing what we're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. I think even hermits have have had enough at this point of what's going on. Right, right. You know, um, but uh, so you're coming to us from Texas, uh, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And is that uh, where are you from originally? And how long have you been in Texas? And well, I'm originally from Philadelphia, PA, and uh, and I um, left uh, Philadelphia in 1979 to go to California to audition uh, for Dynasty with Leon Silvers. And uh, I made that audition and I lived in California for 40 years. <laughs> and then my wife, my wife, you know, she retired. She's a, a, a autism specialist, she's a doctor, and she was retiring and she wanted to come home. And I said, home, oh, excuse me, I said, home? Where, home is where? Texas. And she said, yeah, that's it. oh, they have guns in Texas. <laughs> and so, and we, it was just a joke. And so now, you know, we've been here for three years, and I love it. I love the people. The people in Texas are amazing. Well, that's so I'm good. Very, yeah, I'm very blessed. That's here. good to hear. Um, yes. What first uh, attracted you to uh, drumming, and how old were you about when you got started? Well, uh, so as, as, as a child, I, the thing that got my attention was the Jackson 5 on TV one night and I and the symbols were just glittering. I was, it just caught my attention. I kept on watching the drums and it was like this. It was just like this. It looked like a rocket ship or something. I don't know. It was just so I was taken by the drums. I enjoyed Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5 as well. I thought it was great and I was like <sighs> something about the drums and so when I went down south my grandfather was a pastor uh, and so in his church, they had drums in there. And so, but he only played one drum. You either played the snare drum or the kick drum. And so my grandfather let me play the kick drum a couple of times. And then after a while, he grad let me graduate, or I graduated to the snare. And, and uh, I got to play the snare. And then my cousin, Jay Jr., is his name, Jasper Daniels Jr., uh, who is now the pastor himself. Uh, got me into a group with him and I started playing the Jackson 5 music and uh, so that's how I got started in playing drums. That's what brings back memories for me Jackson 5 when I was in grade school on Fridays the kids could bring in their records for dancing and it was just so much about the Jackson 5 at that time you know. It was those little kids, everybody else was like grown and then these little kids with the big afro and, and they made it look like fun right. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah. I can you know, you be now you can see yourself there. It's like, wow. If they could do it, I could do it too. <laughs> so what when when did you first get, you know, like a full kid and really get immersed? Well, so my dad's a um, businessman on top of being a pastor himself, and so he said um he knew that I wanted a drum set because I was in his store working in his store for him. And, it, it, and so he had two stores. He had the auto store here, and then on the same street, he had a hardware store. So he had me running the hardware store, not running it, but working there. I 
I don't know why I said running it, but I was working in the hardware store, and they noticed that I was constantly beating on paint cans. I set up paint cans as my drum set, and I would practice until a customer came in and on the paint cans. And so, and so my father asked me, what did I want for my birthday? And I said, I, do, I want a drum set. And so he said, okay, so what I want you to do is you save up, you know, half the money, and then I'll take to get the drum set. And I said, okay, that, that half the money? I, I didn't know how much drums cost until he took me to the store. And I was like, whoa. But um, so I, I, got, I saved $100. And he says, okay, let's go. He was proud that I saved $100. And so then we went downtown in Philadelphia, went to a music store, and I picked out the set that I liked, which was a Pearl set. And he said, okay. And so he had to pay the, the other $500. Wow. <laughs> so he paid for my Pearl set, and I was excited and took it home down in the basement and started playing away. That's a pretty good way to start. You know, you hear all the stories about getting the Sears set, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was real. I was really blessed. My dad really blessed me with that. And so, uh, I'm imagining, you know, by the time you got in high school, you were in some bands or things like that. And what kind of uh, music was inspiring you, and what kind of players were inspiring you? Well, for me, um, I started off playing Latin jazz and progressive jazz and I don't know how that happened well I do kind of know Stanley Clark was a big deal in Philadelphia that's because that's where he was from and when his stuff was taken off we returned to forever Chick Career and Lenny White now Demiliola um, Lenny White was the drummer for that band and so my friend and I Reuben Edwards and I um, Ruben was a ba is a bass player still, um, and at the time, was in the basement trying to learn that stuff. And and you know the funniest thing is is that, I mean we did that for a, you know a few years just playing this real deep heavy jazz because I just wanted to be the best drummer in the world. I wanted to be the best jazz drummer in Philadelphia. That was my goal. And uh, but I couldn't understand like why all the other kids and the bands and everybody else didn't listen to that kind of music. They would listen to R&B and stuff like that. And I just, so it kind of, I, I, I was, I got curious. And I was like, and I told my my, my, my buddy, I said, listen, Ruby, I'm a, I, I want to figure out what's going on with this. I want to go. And he was not happy that I wanted, he, he considered it was, I was a sellout because I was going to, you know, what everybody else is doing as opposed to sticking to the the hard stuff and and I respect his feelings about that because he's still doing it exactly that um, but I wanted to explore so then I ended up finding a band and um, they let me be their drummer and I learned how to play the drums and that 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 kind of music it was just a t but it was all about discipline because being a jazz drummer you're all over the place. You know, you're just filling it up, right? But being an RB drummer, you're holding, you're driving the train. And your responsibility is to hold the pocket, hold the groove, so everybody else can groove with you. And so it was a, it was a, it was a learning experience, and I loved it. And so that's how I became an R&B. That's how I got involved in R&B. So were you mostly playing, you know, like uh, the hits, the radio hits of that era, uh, or any original material before... You know, you went out to California, or 
Yes, yeah, so I did. I played, you know, I, was, I played. A, a, I was just on the phone with Gregory Williams from Switch, uh-huh. and I, I was playing the, their stuff, and I was like, just the, the music was. It, it, they had a real nice swing to their ballads. I was like, this. Oh, this is good. This is good, and you can see that people were very receptive because the stuff that I was playing, the jazz stuff, they were like. But this 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 uh, uh, this music, the R and B music, the pop R and B music, they people were like, yeah, now we're talking. And so I I really got into pleasing people through music that way. And so then I went away to college and uh, Norfolk State in the in the city of Virginia, um, uh, and uh, Virginia and Norfolk. And um, and so I um, as I was on spring break, I got a phone call from Tony Westcott, who's passed away, a real close friend of mine, um, saying that Leon Silvers, they called him, he was the drummer for the Silvers, and he said, Leon Silvers called him and said that he had left the Silvers and they were starting a group called Dynasty and wanted Tony to be the drummer. And Tony said, I told Leon that, you know, I've been on the road much, I just want to, you know, kind of be with my family now, so, but I told him about you, so would you still be interested in going out and audition I was like yes I would love to and so he said well here's his number and so I called him and Leon said okay well come on out let's do it so I wasn't I didn't have any money so I mean my I, I told my parents I was going but I needed to take my drums so I instead of getting a plane I got on a bus a Greyhound bus my cousin took me to the airport and uh, he gave me $300 he was only a couple years older than me he was like my dad. He was like doing like with something my parent would do. He says, "Here, I believe you, and I just want you to have money and so you'll be okay." And I was like, "Whoa, dang, that's really nice." He is. You know, I was like twenty, and he was about twenty-three. So, but anyway, no, he's twenty-two. So then, I you know took a couple of days. I don't know how many days it took me to get there. I got there, and Leon Silvers came to the station. Then we went back to his house, and and it was just like all these big afros. That the Silvers had, right? In, in, <laughs> in uh, Palos Verdes? The house? Oh, yeah, they lived in Palos Verdes. Yeah. Yes, but Leon Silver, he and Nydra lived in L.A. They lived in Los Angeles. Nydra was his wife-to-be. She was in Dynasty, and uh, so they were just, you know, engaged at that point. And so I stayed with them, and then immediately um, their place was a little too small, their apartment, so I ended up living with Kevin Spencer. Uh, the lead singer of Dynasty and uh, staying there and, and they were like yeah you can stay and I stayed I had my own room my own bathroom I was like oh I have an apartment back here so it was great what what did uh, what did the audition consist of do you remember that was the strangest thing um, you know he asked me you know to play this I was at that's now when we auditioned that I went to Palos Verdes to the Silver's house and so um, and they had the drums and stuff set up in there, and so I went and I got on drums. And so he said, uh, "I want you. Can you do this?" And I did that. They said, "Can you do this?" I did that. And, then, and so, you know, then we he we you know he says, "You just play along with me." So he played, and I played drums along with him, and we grooved a little bit. And so then he said, "Okay, all right, let's 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 get out of here. It's all good." I said, "Okay." And so then I he never said if I made the interview and so I called him about a week or so later because I was living now with 
you know, uh, Kevin Spencer, you know, and I was like, hey, uh, Leon, listen, I'm, uh, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I made the, the, the group or not, but if I did, because you never told me. He said, oh, yeah, you made it. I said, I did? Oh, okay. I, I just, you never told me. He said, yeah, no, no, that's fine. Minor detail. I said, okay, so. <laughs> right, 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 right. I said, so, well, whenever you guys get ready, let me know, because I'm going to go back to Philly and stuff. And says, and so you get ready, I'll come back. And he said, no, 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 I need you to stay here, because we're going to go in the studio and record stuff for The Whispers and Shalimar and some other stuff. I said, oh, okay. And so that's when we got started, really got started. And the first song I recorded was the second time around for Shalimar. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's something else. Where, wh yeah. when, you, when you found out you got the gig, uh, were you more excited or kind of intimidated or, you know? I, I I can't remember my emotion at that point, but I think I was I was excited because I didn't want to be a, you know, I, I didn't want to, because so many people were rooting for me back in Philly. I didn't want to go back and say I didn't make the audition. So I was, I probably was excited. Um, but then when he said we're going to record, you know, I had to like focus on, okay, what we're about to do. And so, and I was struggling financially because I, you know, I was working for my dad in Philadelphia. When I came there, I wasn't doing anything. So I'm thinking, you know, I need some money, <laughs> you know, so finally we started recording and, um, and started making money. About how much time? Where would you say transpired from when you knew you had the job to doing that recording? Um, that about two weeks. Yeah, about two. I mean, maybe a little longer, about a month. Yeah. yeah. So at that yeah. point, I, I'm thinking um, Leon was probably already just constantly busy with solar projects and things, and he probably was juggling so many things that maybe even just telling you that you got the gig was sort of like an afterthought. Right. Yeah, he definitely was busy um, because, you know, he was doing this stuff and he was doing a thing called the numbers on the drums. So before he had a drummer, which is me, he was doing the drum parts himself and individually doing the kick drum and then the snare and the hi-hat and Symbols and then Tom Tom overdubs. So he got so he was constantly and it was a it was grueling just to you know I I saw him doing that a few times. I was like, what is he doing? And then so eventually he uh, gave the throne over to me. But it took him a minute to release his throne. He was used to doing it. It was just got to get it done. What was it like for you being in a studio? Had you ever been in a studio prior to that? Nope. That was it. That was the first time. And it was Studio Masters in Beverly Hills on Beverly Boulevard, owned by John Woods and uh, and Larry Wood. And um, it was a beautiful studio, and we recorded so many hits out of that studio. And uh, so I thought it was And the Goes On was the first song, but it was not. Second time around, Leon reminded me that second time around we did that. And then while we are in the studio recording second time, around um that's when steve shockley was playing this thing it was an exercise and leon heard that he said what's that he says an exercise and then they keep playing that and then that's when and the beat goes on was created steve shockley is a guitar player 
and the uh, leader of Lakeside. Mm -hmm. And he was always in the studio with us playing guitar until Pepper Reed started playing for us, with us, and, and Richard Randolph. And were you already a fan and aware of these acts that already had career started, like a Lakeside? Um, I I wasn't fully aware of Lakeside, um, but I did go times, and I was like, "Wow, they're really good," you know. But I wasn't fully aware. I knew about that hit um, at that time was uh, "It's All the Way Live," and when they played that, I was like, "Ooh, I'm a fan," you know. But I didn't know about them before. I didn't know really about Shalimar either, but I did know about the Whispers because the Whispers were out when I was little, you know, and so, and so this was like a rebirth of their career, you know, um, uh, Leon really took them to that, that they, the place that they never been. And I got the chance to play drums on that very first song, their first platinum out record, and um, that was And the Beat Goes On. And so it's uh, I that was the second song I recorded, so it's, it, it was a blessing, yeah. Wow, so you talk about hitting the ground running, that was um, so that's 1980, is that correct? Yes, 7980, yeah, yeah. So, then, and the beat goes in, and and second time around, 79. I'm not sure which one came, I think, uh, second time around came out first, and then and the beat goes on came out. Second, but I'm not sure what the dates were that they were released. A lot of those solar acts were just really ramping up right at the end of the 70s and into the 80s. So, I mean, the Midnight Stars and the Lakesides and the um, mm -hmm. Shalimar, and um, then Dynasty was starting to form with you coming in. And um, yes. yeah, so what was it like uh, being in the studio with like Leon? What was his approach like? Um, Leon was was focused like that. I mean, um, he had a lot going on. He had a lot of responsibility. Dick Griffey, uh, you know, made him the the house producer, so he had to deliver the goods. And so, you know, Leon formed Dynasty to help him with the recordings as well on the other acts and uh, so you know so it wasn't all on him uh, it still was all on him ultimately but he was the one he had all these other us there to actually be like seasons in his uh, in the kitchen and so he was just able to use us as needed in a way that he needed to so but he was it was um very focused. He taught me what pitch pocket and attitude was. Those were the three main principles in the studio with him. Pitch pocket and attitude, you know. And uh, and so no matter what it is, no matter what instrument you're playing, um, and so it was, you know, pocket was the main thing for me. Being the drummer, I had to lock that pocket, and I had no idea what pocket was. Hmm. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, and then eventually. Eventually, I, uh, I, I I found the pocket when we did a song uh, called um, by the Whispers called uh, "Love and I Can Make It Better." Make it better. We can make it better. Something like that. 
You can make it better for you. You know, as long as you stick to me, I'll show you, baby, love. I can make it better for you. Anyway, so that song right there was a song that I discovered. That's what he's talking about. That is it. Locking my kick drum to his bass lines. I was locking it. You know, and like prior to that was And the Beat Goes On. Mm -hmm. So I, then he would say, Pocket, you guys need Pocket. We go in there and we record. It was a Sunday morning and we were recording, 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 recording. He was not satisfied. And we had to take a break at around one o'clock. And then we took a break for lunches and we came back and we went in there and then we nailed it. But I was feeling bad because I thought it was my fault because he said we can't get this done. We got to make sure we get the drums first. So as long as I was recording, that means the drums weren't good enough. And so finally, he was like, there you go, drums are good. And so then he started fixing his part, the bass part, then he fixed the guitar part and the keyboard parts. And so that's how that song came out. <laughs> so he was very full. Yes, wow. laser focus. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a, a mentor, really, to you in that way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think we all felt that way in regards to Leon. He really, he really um, led us. Where we were not knowing where we were going, we were just doing what we thought we needed to do to have a job. And um, and later on, we realized, wow, this is bigger than just a job. We're creating a legacy here, and. Um, and it was just a beautiful thing. It was like a school because no one was jealous of each other. We all were loving on each other, you know, and the different groups like Lakeside and Midnight Star and Climax. And, you know, they all come around and we're in the same studio doing all the stuff together for Dick Griffey. And it was just a beautiful place to be. Yeah, I heard the vibe was great there. I mean, you know, I've had Cheryl and Akulian uh, and so many people that were there, uh, uh, Reggie from uh, Midnight Star and... Uh, goes on and on, you know, and people just seem to love the fa the family vibe and the whole camaraderie that was going on back then. There. Yes, it was. A, it was definitely that, and it still is. We just had a, a celebrated 40th anniversary. Uh, uh, Dick Griffey was uh, a Solar was awarded um, a 40 year anniversary. Um, celebration from um, the city of Los Angeles and so that was like a giant family reunion we all got together and it was beautiful man it's like yes <laughs> wonderful seeing each other it was like, oh it's great did, did you get to spend much time with Dick Griffey uh, outside of business at all I mean what was he like as, as both a business guy and if you saw him outside of that as just a, a man um, so, my relationship with him was mainly business, um, and so there was not, the only time he was fun is, is when he came to concerts, you know, to our concerts, when we had Solar Galaxy of Star tour, and he was, he would be on the side of the stage, and you could see he, he's happy, his bands are out there, and this whole thing, you know, it's like, whoa, it's really happening, and it was just beautiful. And so he was in a really good mood. But, I, you know, I was, I, I was a young man, so he was like, I was nervous around him. Mm. And I was like, I'm, my job. <laughs> <laughs> so always was very respectful 
didn't never have like that sit down and have lunch and have a burger kind of mm-hmm. relationship with him. Um, that wasn't it for me. Um, but I only wish because I never knew that he was a drummer. I didn't know that until just a few years ago when I heard Carrie Lucas, his wife, uh, talk about you know him, and she mentioned he was a drummer. I was like, what? Hmm. He was a drummer. And so I talked to Virgil Roberts about it, and I said, Virgil, I didn't know Dick was a drummer. And he's like, yes. And I said, that means so much to me, you know, him being a drummer, and he chose me to be his drummer for his company. That And Virgil said, that's big, Wardell. That's big because me as an attorney, if I'm in a situation, wherever I hire, I know they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah. But Leon Silvers is the one that brought me into the situation, and Dick Griffey was the one to confirm that he wanted me to play on the records. So, and I just, wow, that's beautiful. And what and what was uh, Kevin like in those days? You know, as a talent, as a player, and as a friend. Well, Kevin was my brother. We lived together. Remember? Yeah. So we were like brothers, and um, and Kevin's very, very smart. I mean, he's really smart. Um, his writing skills, in terms of just he could write anything, and it's really deep and heavy. And so he's a fun, crazy kind of guy. You know, we go play basketball and stuff and hang out and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But when it came down to writing, he really enjoyed um, doing the music and being a part of it and watching this thing happen. That was, that was really good for him. And uh, he was really smart, really. I mean, he's a really still, like, you know, I have him write stuff for me. Can you write? He's really, really smart. You know, so that's Kevin. Yeah, well, kid. I'm sure he was able to show you around Los Angeles. You know, since you were new and all that. Uh, yeah, but he it was more. I hung out more with William Shelby, Ricky, and Richard. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I just kind of I don't know. Well, William Shelby and I were closer because we both were from back east initially. Mm-hmm. We were really close. But then when we went on the road, Ricky Smith and I were roommates. And so then we became like brothers for real. And so, and then everybody else in the group, we were always together, either on the road or in the studio recording somebody. So it was, or at rehearsal. And we would rehearse, you know, eight hour days. So we were, we were always together. Were you prepared stamina-wise for that kind of regimen, you know, coming into it? Or did you kind of have to build up your endurance, you know? Because it's no joke being behind the kit, you know, for hours and hours. Yeah, so I think that my natural, who I, who I was back then naturally was prepared, had prepared me for it because I was an athlete. Mm. So I ran track. And, you know, and, and I did gymnastics. And so I was used to whatever it is that I'm doing, there's a lot of practice involved. And so, but drums is something that I loved. It wasn't just something I was doing. It was something I loved. And so that never made me tired. We, I would try 
all day and all night. It was just fun. I don't know that you mentioned. Um, first, I there, one point I wanted to make was you know when you mentioned about all the way all the way live Lakeside. I was thinking that you probably really liked that once you heard it because of it had that Latin thing at the end, and you mentioned the Latin uh, rhythms before. So, yeah, I really loved it, and I loved the beginning, the intro too. And I talked to Fred Lewis about that. I said, Fred, like, what were you thinking? That's that that stutter, yeah. And he was like, "What? Well, yeah, that was just something that I was." I was practicing. That was it. Was like it was an exercise, another one of those exercises. And then Steve heard it and said, "Hey, that we we need to use that as an intro for a song." And that's how that became the intro for it. It's all the way live. But I love that. Oh, did you don't know how many many times I wanted to just move over for a minute, friend. Let me play with Steve <laughs> on this part. <laughs> Because it just, oh, it gets to me. I wish that we had a song that had that in it. Because, whoa. Oh, yeah. Love the Latin part of that. Yeah, there aren't too many songs that funk as hard as that one does and then go off as much as it does into that Latin direction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful release. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, yes. So, Keep on Loving Me. You know, uh, we were talking about that. Of course, you were there for that. And that's my favorite uh, Whispers track in terms of, you know, groove, uh, for sure. Um, what was it like laying that down? And uh, I think you had told me about, you know, some controversy around which version and that kind of thing. Mm. Okay, so Keep On Loving Me, a song that I wrote. And I played every instrument on it, except for the think 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 it. Leon's playing the uh, Rickenbacker bass, and he's up as high as possible. Wow. And he's playing that part. And I'm thinking, I was now I'm just thinking, I wonder if he was doing that, like, you know, for Pepper Reed, the guitar player of a Dynasty, or Steve Shockey, to, 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 you know, just putting it down as an idea for them to come in and play that part. But I think what happened is, is that it sounded so good. It was like, I don't need anybody to replace it. Because he was producing it. It was my song, but Leon was producing it. And so, um, yeah, so we, we, you know, we did that, recorded that song, and it was wonderful. Um, I got the chance to play all the parts. That's the first time. Um, and so, and then um, I had to call Leon because I had a, a person, a listener, that wanted to know who came up with that part. Hey, Scotty, what's that mean? And I was like, I don't know. That's a good question. So I called Leon. Leon, who came up with that part? Hey, Scotty, what's that mean? And he says, I did. I said, you did it? He said, yeah. He said, when I initially did it, you know, Scotty was like, they, he didn't, they didn't, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. And then I go, well, you know, I think it's kind of cool thing because it got you scat. He did the scatting thing. He says, and so I think it'd be it's a good concept to just you know something to play with little, little and then uh, and then without feeling it. And so he says, okay, I tell you what, let's do it like this. Well, I'll make two different versions, two different mixes of it, and then whichever one you know Dick wants, that's the one we'll go with. And they were they agreed to that. Well, you obviously Dick went with the same one Leon wanted. 
and um, and now the sky. They love it. That is the thing, you know. But sometimes we don't hear things. Like I didn't hear second time around. I didn't think that should be a single because we did so many other songs with other good. The second time around was the first thing. I was like, "What? How could that be the first thing?" <laughs> you know? sometimes you just don't, you know, hear it because you're too close to it or whatever the case is, and and, and you're not always going to know. Everybody's not. That's not. You can't. You don't know what people are going to like. You can assume, but you're not. You don't know for sure. Yeah. So when that one became uh, as big of a hit as it did, it must have been especially gratifying with you being so integral to that one. Yeah, so the first time when it got on the record, I was like, what? It made the Whispers album? I was like, yes, I was so happy. I was so happy. And then I remember we were at some place rehearsing, um, and there was mirrors everywhere. We were rehearsing. And then Leon said, "That's." He came in and he says, "Oh, by the way, I, I forgot to tell you, that's going to be the second, the second single." I said, "What? They're going to release this thing?" And it was, and it was bigger than the first single. <laughs> and then I was really excited. So just to actually have a song on a group that I grew up listening to was a really big thing. And I thought the Whispers was from Philadelphia because they played their stuff so much. I thought they were from Philadelphia, so I was like, hey, got my homeboys, I'm from for my homeboys. No, they're from L.A. <laughs> but anyway, that's that. Yeah, they were even more successful, I'm pretty sure, sales-wise, in their second, you know. Yeah, time around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no pun intended, but definitely, I believe, uh, oh, yeah, because they never had a gold platinum record. Hmm. So... You know that, yeah, and most of the songs before that were mid temples and ballads that were his. So now, you know, when Leon came and you know with the and they signed up with the uh, uh, Solar, you know, because uh, Dick was their manager, and then they signed he signed them into Solar. Um, they came, you know, we came with the fire, you know, from and the beat goes on to um, it's a love thing in the raw. I mean, it was all those banging, you know, emergency songs just coming at you like, whoa, what the, you know, and so we just, that, that they needed that because it made the show a little more exciting and, and much, you know, yeah, a much better situation for them. Yeah. Yes. So um, on the road, did you play with any of the other acts uh, from Solar aside from Dynasty? Shalomar. Yes, Shalomar. And that was, uh, uh, I, you know, I played percussion with Shalimar, and it was just really interesting to see Jeffrey Daniels do the moonwalk, or the backslide is what we called it before Michael Jackson got it and called it moonwalk. But, uh, and I was like, is there something on the floor there that's, that's allowing him to slide backwards like this? And so I got to see firsthand, there's nothing on the floor. He's actually moonwalking. I mean, doing that thing just it's just magical you know because i see him do it right in front of me and i go how is he doing that i don't get it but it's a beautiful thing yeah sleight of foot did um did he do that in rehearsal or did you see it for the first time when you were actually out there doing a show oh yeah yeah no he couldn't help himself he was doing it all the time yeah so part of who he is so you might make you miss a beat or something you know if he just if you saw it for the first time while you're out there <laughs> well, you know, I, um, 
you know, I, I, I've always, it's, it's, um, it was just part of the music. Their moves became part of just this, it was just a show and everybody's doing their part. And so, and uh, so the whispers, this is the funny thing, they would be on the side of the stage betting on how many times I'm going to jump without stopping. Betting on the side of the stage because I would jump because I was like a human metronome for the drummer. And I would jump while playing the whole time. Jump, I'm bouncing, just bouncing. And I didn't know that they were betting. I was like, you guys are betting? <laughs> and so that was funny. But we had so much fun on the Solar Galaxy of uh, uh, Stars tour. And I just want to tell you a little story about it. As we were touring around in our little those little buses that we had, is it, it kind of that? They, but they, they're beautiful because they were they were like the same color as your hat. They were purple, and then it was at the Solar Galaxy of Stars tour, and we were just so it was so beautiful to see that on the side of the bus. And but they were like we we're traveling around the country and stuff, and and they couldn't handle some of the places we were going. And one time my bus caught on fire. We had to jump out the bus and take the snow and throw it in there. What what and, year what uh, year was know, that, Wardell? Eighty one, eighty or eighty one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, and it was it was, but we went around the whole country, and I think we had four buses, and it was great. You know, everybody Dynasty Lakeside, Shalimar, and the Whispers, and we just went around the country ran around the country and it was just great and it was a wonderful opportunity but our bus broke down and we had to end up riding with Lakeside for a few months and that was that was uh, an experience that I didn't expect because <laughs> yeah, you know you don't need these that's Lakeside they're like our big brothers right you know, hanging out with these guys and they were so kind and they were talking to, talking to me about spirituality and being respectful to yourself and I'm thinking all these girls all over the place. <laughs> it was like they became our parents on the road, right? Like, oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> but it was good. And still to this day, you know, um, those guys, uh, some of those guys are still just like that. Very, very, you know, uh, religious, you know, you know, always talking about God. And um, T. Meyer, McCain, and Otis Stokes were the two main two that was always talking about God. And it really kind of, it was like, you felt like I have big brothers right here with me, and I'm wondering if my parents prayed that up. <laughs> so, but it just turned out really good for me. We enjoyed it. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah. Um, yes. If I mention some of these acts to you, Wardell, um, you know, what comes to mind? Like, um, let's say climax. Hmm. Bernadette Cooper, um, you know, being a drummer in Climax, I I just, my heart was always out to her because I knew that she was always trying to get that pocket and stuff, and, and I knew how I felt not to know what the heck Leon was talking about with the pocket. Um, I ended up playing drums on a couple of their records, but she really worked so hard, and she got it, and then she was we started recording but i i remember my heart going out to her like you can do it you can do it you, you could just see her sweating hard and just trying hard to get it and she got it and and so um 
I, I love Climax. Um, they were our sisters, and they were good girls, and they were just trying to do what they needed to do uh, to, to make things happen for them, and they did a good job at it. What about uh, Midnight Star? I've heard, you know, just really threw it down on stage. Um, what what can you tell us about them? The problem with Midnight Star is that they're still doing that. Nobody, <laughs> it's like, hold on, we're not coming on after them because they are masters at the pocket. They are masters. They and they have a string of hits that you just keep. Boom, boom, boom. It's just dropping a bomb and it's feeling good. It's like, whoa. You know, and we're talking about a good mixture of temples and ballads. So their shows are just like, it's, it's hard to compete with those guys. And, and they're all very, very talented and very athletic. They worked out all the time. They lived in a house and they all used to work out together. The Callaways, um, yeah. Yeah, they all did, yeah, all of them. And they were, I mean, including the girl, you know, and they all worked out and they did. They went running, you know, in the mornings and stuff. And that was part of the regiment. It was like they were in the service. <laughs> yeah, they, awesome. Yeah, they were all business and still are, apparently. What about um, the deal? Did you have any exposure with them? Not as much. That was a, a group that um, Midnight Star was responsible for bringing them to uh, Babyface and Alien and to uh, Solar. So they were a band, you know, from, you know, like uh, I believe from Ohio that, that, that Midnight Star was working with. And, and uh, uh, there was a, I'm not sure which individual in the group um, was responsible for getting them signed. But there was somebody. It wasn't Reggie. It was someone else. But uh, but anyway, I, I just know that they they did. They weren't like um, there with the rest of the groups. They were. They like came a, from a yeah, like a protege group for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Carrie Lucas, I heard uh, from Kevin uh, Spencer anyway that. You had to kind of watch your step working with her because you want to make sure you did right by the boss and that kind of thing. Did is is that how it was? Well, that's in any situation. Same thing with the pastor's wife, right? You gotta, you're gonna always be respectful, a little more than you would normally be, because you don't want to, you know, make anybody feel uncomfortable, and so. For the most part, Carrie was this, and still is one of the sweetest people you could meet. I wrote uh, a, a song called "Show Me the Show Me uh, Show Me Where You Coming From" on her, and uh, and that was her single, and um, and it's just a pleasure working with her. And to this day, I honor her as a beautiful woman and human being. She's a beautiful person, and uh, she's been a blessing to me. <laughs> 